Well, I want to start by saying today that you, you're all more. You're more than what this world says you are. You're more than the number of likes that you get on Instagram. You're more than the number of heads that turn when you walk in a room. You're more than the brand of clothing you wear. You're more than the size of your clothing. You're more than the number of the digits that are on the scale in the morning. You're more than your titles. You're more than your degrees. You're so much more than that. But how do you know that? Is it because of the feminist movement? Is it because of the movement that started in 1918 when you were granted the right to vote? How do you know that you're more? Could it possibly have to do with a rabbi carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago? Could it possibly have to do with him? I want you to set aside the fact for a minute that Jesus was God. He was born into a completely male-dominated culture. Yet, in fact, this culture, the only lives that mattered were the lives of young men and boys. Yet, despite this insane culture, Jesus started the first women's rights movement and changed history as we know it. You see, because of Jesus, women are valued equally to that of men today. And the school systems, they love to teach us, well, the women, they're, they're valued because we were granted the right to vote in 1918, and, and there's three different waves of feminism that we have evolved into. No, no, no. What they've forgotten to mention was there was a man who lived 2,000 years ago that preceded the feminist movement and gave us our first rights. So for just a few minutes that follow, I want to give you a history lesson, because I believe that I am enabling you with this history to fight for God's definition of femininity. You see, what Jesus did in his day, he elevated, he ennobled, and he honored women. And the ripples of his life are still out today in our lives. So my husband, Ash, he's, he's a cutie, he's a cutie. He's an Aussie. I was really into Australians. I'm like, I gotta have an Australian husband. It was a goal. Write down what you want, God'll come through for you. Not only that, he was a surfer boy in San Diego, so I was like, getting what I want. Anyways, so he was raised in Australia, and like in America, soccer's a really big deal. Most of you probably played soccer at some point. Swimming is the same way in Australia. So Ash swam, swam, swam. It was his life. He swam in the morning. He swam in the night. He swam in the bathtub. It was just his life. He loves to brag, like I know what this means. I was a part of the Marlin class. Okay, great, wonderful. Um, on the other hand, let's go to America where I'm at, okay? I learned how to doggy paddle. I don't know, I still don't know how to swim. I stay in the shallow end, I don't like swimming. I, I, I get my head above water, I survive, we're good, right? Flash forward to 2016, Ash and I go on our first date. He takes me to the beach. Great first date, right? That's totally my husband. So we go to the beach, it's high tide day, I'm trying to impress him, he's a, he's a surfer boy. I'm like, I gotta impress this guy. He's not gonna be with some Arizona shallow pool end girl. I gotta really, I gotta impress, right? He's like, are you cool if it's high tide? Like we can just like jump in? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> it's totally me. So Aquaman Ash dives in, he's two meters out in the ocean. I'm like, I'm right behind you. I'm doggy paddling my way out, barely kicking my little legs. 
Apparently, you got to use your legs. I thought it was just an arm thing. It's a, I guess it's a, it's a, I guess it's a whole motion. Still haven't figured it out. Anyways, I'm getting pummeled by waves every second. Bam, bam, bam. I'm rolling like a beached whale on the on the beach. <laughs> He's like, "Where are you? Where are you?" I eventually get out there, and the lifeguard starts yelling, "Hey, you're in the no swim zone." I'm like, "No, duh." The whole ocean should be a no-swim zone. <laughs> we shouldn't be out there. He's like, Aubrey, what are you doing? Get out of there. Come on. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm on my way. He paddles his way out. He's realizing I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a complete liar. So he has to save me. He drags me back into shore. I have not known this guy very long. I don't know who this guy is. But he, he wrapped me in his arms. He said, oh, my gosh. I thought I was about to lose you. And in that moment, this man who did not know me, did not know my story, did not, did, probably wouldn't even care, he wrapped his arms around me and let me know that my life had worth to him. My question to you is, what is the life of a woman worth? Well, in ancient Rome, there was an enormous shortage of women. Due to a very evil practice, there were 100 women to every 140 men. Women were left to die because they were born the wrong sex. Women had no worth. Leaving an unwanted female infant to die of exposure was a common practice in that day. It wasn't even something they covered up. It just was what it was. I want to read to you an actual letter that was written by a Roman soldier named Hilarion to his pregnant wife, Alice. And I want you to notice this combination of tenderness for, oh, Alice, I love you, I love you, and the callousness of the idea of having a baby girl. I beg you to take good care of our baby son. He's already assuming. A baby son. If you deliver a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, discard it. You have sent me a letter that said, don't forget me. How can I forget you? I beg you not to worry. It's amazing to me how tender he is to Alice. Oh, Alice, I love you. I will never forget you. But if it's a baby girl, discard it. Get rid of it. There was a law in ancient Rome called the Law of Romulus. And that required all fathers to raise every son and the firstborn daughter. But every other daughter was allowed to be discarded. This is the world that Jesus was born into. This is what he was experiencing in his midst, in his culture. You see, historians have discovered that in the city of Delphi, out of 600 known families, I don't want you to miss this, 600 known families, six of them raised one or more daughter. Out of 600 families, six of them raised one or more daughter. This wasn't even covered up. This is in historical records. So as a matter of history, why did the disposal of baby girls stop? Well, have you ever heard of the word Imago Dei? Imago Dei is Latin for image of God. And the Bible says that all people, key word, all people, matter to God. Therefore, the infanticide of, of any race, any gender is wrong to God because we are all made in the image of God. Therefore, the killing of children is wrong. You see, this value, Imago Dei, is based off of the way that Jesus treated women. He honored, respected, and elevated them amidst of a culture that deemed their lives as worthless. You see, his spirit of inclusivity drew women closer to him. 
And it still does today. That's why we see in most churches, women are the majority of the congregation because the church is a very inclusive and loving environment. You see, ladies, Jesus started the women's rights movement. Every modern day feminist who rebukes the church for being patriarchal, who rebukes the church for being sexist, ought to watch their mouth because the roots of feminism and rights for women started with Jesus and in the church. You see, Jesus was the first person to value women like no man had ever done in history. And what he did literally changed the world as a matter of history. He changed the world that we women were born into. And it's important to understand that the blessings we women enjoy today did not begin because of a women's rights liberation movement that walks down the street with, with genitals on their head. Can we just get that straight? That did not give you your rights. Your rights came from a man who fought for your, your right 2,000 years ago. There are two different kinds of feminisms I see today. The right way, where women are honored, respected, and elevated through a biblical perspective, and the modern day feminist who conducts herself by demeaning men and fighting for causes that are literally killing the next generation of women. How does that work? How is that supporting women? If you were a feminist, you would care that every single little girl who was conceived in a womb would live to see the next day. You're not a feminist if you're killing them. I'll never understand. So which movement do you want to be a part of? The answer is easy for me. Bottom line, the worth and the rights you enjoy today, they came from a Jewish rabbi named Jesus Christ and not the modern day feminism movement. Jesus was, and he still is, a friend to women today. In ancient Athens, girls received little to no education. In fact, a woman was legally classified as a child no matter her age or her IQ. Therefore, the woman was always the property of a man. In Athens, it was generally understood that a woman's highest calling was to conceive children, give birth to them, and raise them, and particularly, I might add, male children. Well, in ancient Sparta, this is crazy, you guys, a woman who gave birth to a son received twice as many rations as a woman who gave birth to a daughter. Can you believe that? And the only women who got their names actually put on tombstones, catch this, the only women who had honor after death were the women who died in childbirth. This was their way of brainwashing culture that a woman's primary purpose in life was to take care of children, give birth to children, and if you die, well, then you'll be honored, right? That's the only way your name was on a tombstone. Again, this is the world that Jesus was born into. One day, Jesus was teaching, and occasionally, he would drop truth bombs on culture. I love him. He's a savage. If you could just read it through, through the Bible, through the, the lens of Jesus is a savage, dun 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 yeah, that's how you gotta read it. Like Jesus, he's epic. Luke 11, 27 to 28 says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you. What a nice thing to say about Mary. I'm sure Mary was like, I did do a good job, didn't I? He's wonderful, he's wonderful, I know. But Jesus responds with something a little cranky. And I, once again, I love the savage. He's a boss. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So that's kind of a cranky thing to say, but Jesus is making a point here. 
He's saying the primary purpose of a woman is not to produce children. Motherhood, just like fatherhood, it's, it's a noble calling, but it's not your main calling. So ladies, if you don't have children, you haven't missed out on God's highest calling for your life. And women who do have children, you're not defined by how those children turn out. The highest calling of a woman is also the highest calling of a man, and that is to know God and live in relationship with him and pursue the will of God in your life. You see, Jesus, he crashed this male-dominated party when he said, this calling, it's now available to women. All women, regardless of age, marital status, mirror image, or childbearing capacity. This was a remarkably new concept in the ancient world, and Jesus was the one who brought it. Once again, we've been taught that the feminists told us this, but I think they're plagiarizing some of Jesus' early principles. He's the first one that said motherhood's not your first calling, but they're trying to tell us they did. I'm trying to show you guys that Jesus was the first one to fight for you. Another time, this is my favorite story. Jesus was teaching in the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha Stewart. And <laughs> my dad actually, I, he was like, I, like, I don't remember how to remember Mary and Martha. He goes, Martha Stewart. Mary, Martha Stewart. It clicks. You will never forget it. You're welcome. <laughs> now, Martha, she was doing all the preparation work, what Martha Stewart would be doing. She was cooking. She was cleaning. She was preparing. Now, Mary was doing the exact opposite. Now, if I was Martha, I, I have to be honest, I would be ticked off at Mary. I'd be like, girl, we planned to host this together you just dumped the work on me. We said this was a team effort, and why are you sitting at Jesus' feet? You said, get your butt up, clean the dishes. I, I get it. I get it. But here's where Martha goes wrong, okay? She starts complaining to Jesus. Anybody heard of a nagging woman? That, we got to watch it, ladies. Once you start complaining to Jesus, verse 41, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. It's not a good sign when Jesus has to say your name twice. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. Many people uh, interpret what Jesus is saying here as it's better to be a quiet and a contemplative Mary than to be an activist Martha. But nobody in that culture would have ever, ever interpreted it that way. The word to sit at someone's feet is actually translated in that culture to become a disciple of. And Paul uses this exact phrase in Acts 22. He says, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was a great rabbi that Paul learned from. So for example, like saying, I went to Harvard in my wildest dreams, but that's kind of what we're saying, right? I got my credentials at Harvard. So I wanna give you some context here. Martha did what the culture expected of women. She cooked, she cleaned, she prepared the house, while Mary did what the culture expected of men. And who did Jesus praise? Mary. He praised, he said, Mary got it right, Martha got it wrong. Once again, the, the feminist movement, they've tried to plagiarize this trait. Jesus was the first one to bring it. He put this culture on tilt. He broke through the predictable. He broke through the stereotypes of women. He understands women unlike any man would ever understand a woman. As much as I know these men try, they will just not get it. <laughs> when I got married, 
here comes Ash again. <laughs> when I got married, we'd get in these like little arguments as all married couples do, we're fine, we just we get a little bit there sometime. And I would get into these moments where I'd be like, that's it, I'm out of here, I'm out of here, I'm going upstairs and don't you dare come after me. You know the right answer. You know what they're supposed to do, right? The men in here, you're, you're confused right now. Well, I'm gonna give you a crash course. Don't go downstairs and turn on a video game like Ash did. <laughs> I waited for two hours, like, where is, he? where is he? I know I said, don't come up here, but I'm expecting him up here any second. When you're in a fight with a woman, you do exactly the opposite that the woman tells you to do. That's how you win, that's how you win. You're welcome. Keep it in here though, we don't want it to spread. We want them to figure it out eventually. But you see, Jesus, he understands women in a way that is just so unique. And he invites women into a brand new role. He says, I invite you to sit at my feet and become my disciple. Patriarchal Christianity, huh? Can I get a huh? What He's inviting women to sit at his feet and not clean the kitchen. Where did the feminists get this idea that, that Christianity was so sexist, that was pushing women to the side when Jesus literally says, Martha, you got it wrong. Mary, come sit with me. Did you know that the longest conversation ever recorded in the Gospels was with a woman at a well? And I haven't even mentioned the fact yet that this woman was a Samaritan. You see, in that day, it was so unusual for a rabbi to engage in a conversation with a woman. And once again, even crazier for him to engage in a conversation with a Samaritan. That's why in verse 27 it says, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. At one point in the conversation, Jesus says in verse 17 to 18, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with, he's not your husband. Uh-oh. Most people assume this is a really bad thing, that Jesus is trying to point out that she's um, sexually immoral, but it's really got a whole different flavor than that, you guys. You see, divorces were rare in that day, and we don't know from her story how many of her divorces ended in a husband who died, or how many husbands left her. We know she did not initiate that divorce. We know it 100%, because in that day, there is not one single record of a woman initiating divorce because only men held the power to initiate divorces in that day. In other words, this Samaritan woman, she's been rejected and rejected and rejected by men. She's very poor because she's fetching her own water. She doesn't have servants to do that for her. And her current living situation is probably not about casual sexuality. Because at that time, a man could bring a woman of lower class into his household as a slave or a second wife. So we know that this was probably her only means of survival. So when Jesus says, you've had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband, he's saying, I know you. I know your story. I know you've been rejected by men. I know you're poor. I know life is tough. I know you're a Samaritan. But I know you and your story and I care. I really care about you. You see, this rabbi, he sits at a well and he engages in a deep, personal, spiritual conversation with this poor, five times rejected Samaritan woman. Jesus takes her seriously. He took her mind seriously, took her soul seriously. Is there any wonder why this woman ran back to the town and told everybody about this man who had given her a sense of identity? 
Jesus, three wins. Feminist movement, still zero. Well, in Jesus' day, sorry guys, I just hit the wrong page on my iPad. Well, in Jesus' day, there was a tendency to define women in terms of the men that were in her life. We'd never do that today, right? Ever heard of a trophy wife? Anyways, there is a story my dad told me once, I love this story that you told me, um, that a CEO and his wife went on a road trip, and they were traveling down the road, and they're like, we need to go pull off and get some gas. So they pull off to the side, the husband, the CEO, goes inside, he pays for all the gas, he comes out and he finds his wife in a long, deep conversation with the service attendant. He's kind of weirded out about this. He's like, all right, get in the freaking car. Get out of here. <laughs> We're going to get out of here. So he drives down the road. He's thinking for a bit. And he's like, what are you talking to that service attendant about? She goes, oh, my word. You're, just, you're never going to believe this. We dated in high school. Can you believe that? I can't believe it could be reunited. And so the, you know, the CEO, he gets a little smug. He's like, I know what you're thinking. You're so glad that you married the CEO and not the service attendant. And she says, actually, you know what I was thinking about? If I married him, he would have been the CEO and you would have been the service attendant. When Jesus walked the earth, he treated women differently. He gave them a new identity. He saw them as the image bearers of God, Imago Dei. And when he taught about these things, it was like little truth bombs went off in this male-dominated culture. And it took some time to spread. And it did not happen at the 19, it did not happen because of the 1918 movement. It took time after Jesus brought this idea into the world, but eventually the idea did win the day. Well, then Jesus begins to form a brand new community. Luke 8, 1 to 3 says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. This is good news for men and for women. The 12 were with him, and also some women. Mary, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women, catch this, were helping to support them out of their own means. We just glide over these words and we miss how shocking this would have been in the culture. First of all, in the ancient world, women did not travel publicly with men, okay? That was a very scandalous thing. Women stay home, stay indoors. Sounds a lot like COVID to me. So women stay home, do not go outside. It's unsafe out there for you, you need to stay. But here's Jesus forming this little community in the middle of nowhere with men and women following him. And he's saying, I want you to study and learn and we can do ministry together. I mean, can you imagine the rumors that were going around about this little community traveling in the desert? I also want you to notice this, this is huge. The women are paying the bills. And not only did Jesus not consider it demeaning or threatening to have women paying the bills, he welcomed it. This is a different kind of community, a community of men and women that live together in mutual love and honor and respect, like brothers and sisters that celebrate each other. Do I even need to say it again? Jesus, four wins. Modern feminists, still zero. Jesus started all these beautiful principles that we enjoy today. The way that Jesus dealt with sexuality changed the entire world as a matter of history. He gave women a new dignity because when he talked about sexuality, he didn't just talk about the women. For the first time, he started to mention the men. 
We hear a lot in America today about a sexual double standard. The, he- the feminists love to harp on this, but in Jesus' day, sexual double standard was not just existent, it was a matter of public law, and people weren't even embarrassed by it. It was just accepted. Caesar Augustus ruled that adultery was a public offense only in women. Husbands were allowed to have sex with prostitutes and slave girls. In fact, all slave girls were sexually available and masters often um, rent their slave girls out to other masters in that day. This is the world that Jesus was born into. This is what he had to change. You see, Jesus is the one who first brought the idea that sexual fidelity was no longer a property crime, but a crime of the heart. You see, because in that day, when you, the only way you could create adultery, commit adultery, was if you slept with a man's wife because she was the property of another man. Do you see that? So when he slept with another man's wife, he's creating a property crime, not a heart crime. Because the sexual girl, the, 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 um, the slave girls could be rented out to whoever they wanted. It wasn't a property issue, but the wife was the property of the man. So Jesus brought this idea that marriage was to be a a mutual covenant between the wives and the husbands, and it was to be a matter of the heart. And that idea eventually won the day, praise God. You see, polygamy, it didn't just go away by accident. Jesus brought these ideas into the world. Jesus also gave women a brand new sense of purpose. This is just remarkable. In all four gospels, all four, we are told that it was women who followed Jesus to the cross when the men got afraid and ran away. We didn't write it, it's in the word of God. (laughs) Next time they try to pull the whole Eve took the apple thing, well you ran away at the cross. That was the most important moment in history. You weren't there, so shut it. (laughs) I gotta watch it, there's only two men here and they're gonna be mad at me at the end of this. In all four Gospels, the responsibility of being witnesses to proclaim the Gospel and the resurrection was given to women. In the Gospel of Matthew, it is is written that when women went to the tomb, they were the first ones to see the resurrected Christ. I want you to imagine this. I, I find this funny. Maybe nobody else finds this funny, but I think it's hilarious. Jesus has just been crucified. He's been in the tomb for three days. He walks out, and the Bible records that his first words were, greetings. What an understatement. You've just been crucified. You've been dead for three days, but greetings. (laughs) It's like a story. There was a Sunday school teacher one day that asked her um, her class about the resurrection. She says, what were Jesus' first words to the disciples after he raised from the dead? And the little girl goes, ooh, ooh, I know, I I know, I know. And she goes, yes, Sally. And she goes, ta-da. Jesus appears to these women, ta-da, and what he did next, it changed the entire world. He says, now you women, go to Jerusalem and spread the news. Be my witnesses. This is a loaded command because Jesus had just gotten killed for this, okay? So he's like, it's on you now, go, right? So not only are they starting a movement that was supposed to just be squashed, but what makes it scarier is that they're women, You see, what makes this so risky is that in the ancient world, a woman's testimony was never considered valid. They could have been killed on the spot for spreading a rumor like that. There was an ancient Roman historian named Celsus 
who sought to discredit Christianity and the resurrection of Jesus. So he said, the resurrection rests on the tales of hysterical females. Wow. Another Israeli historian, Josephus, wrote, let not the testimony of women be admitted. Wow, that sucks. That is just a reality. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> Didn't work. As a general rule, women were not allowed to give legal testimony in a trial. And we see this prejudice against women even among the disciples, these dang disciples. I want you to listen to this. Luke 24, 9, 11, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Can you imagine how frustrated you would have been? Jesus appears to them, ta-da, and they're like, who do we go tell? Who do we go tell? Ooh. I know, we can go trust the disciples, right? Surely they have enough faith. Jesus rose from the dead, nonsense. How annoying would that be? You see, these, these guys, they were so stubborn, Jesus was like, okay, I have to go to appear to them to myself. They're not gonna listen. Wouldn't you love to be the women there when Jesus appears? You're standing there and you're like, I told you so. I told you so. They were never discredited from there on out, ever again. But can you imagine the sense of dignity and purpose that Jesus trusted them to be the first to go spread the news? What an amazing task to be given, the most important task in all of history of spreading the good news of the gospel. Well, when the New Testament was formed, the New Testament church was formed, Paul talks a lot about households and about roughly half of the households that were formed in the early infrastructure of the church were headed up by women. Why? Because this man, Jesus, has such an inclusive and an embracing spirit, and women wanted to flock to this entire community. In Rome, in Jesus' day, a widow, she was considered a drag on society. Did you know that a widow had to be married in two years or she would start to be fined by the government? They saw her as a drag on the economy. But, you think, but this little group who's starting this New Testament church, they remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he took the time to look down and he said, behold, your mother, take care of her. Verse 27, from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So in this little community, widows weren't fined. They weren't considered a drag on the economy. They were esteemed, they were honored, and they were prized. And the care of widows is one of the early markings of what defined the New Testament church. Historian Robin Fox writes, it is highly likely that women flocked to this church. Well, no, duh. This was the only place they were giving dignity and a purpose and honor. One early church was found in a community called Serta. And our archeologists have discovered some possessions of the people who lived in that community. There were 16 male tunics, at least 16 men were a part of the church. They also found 38 veils, 82 women's tunics, 47 pairs of female slippers, and six copies of Vogue magazine. Sorry guys, it's my first time using an iPad and I've messed up my whole place. 
I'll find it, people. There we are. We're back. We're back. All right. Slight mix-up. Jesus is why an aged woman named Apollonina was taken by the Romans and beaten until her teeth were broken. And when she was offered freedom, if she would just renounce the, the name of Jesus, she instead flung herself into fire to be consumed. Jesus is why a woman named Julian of Norwich wrote the first book in English ever by a woman all about Jesus and her relationship with him. And it is still one of the most profoundly studied books in history. Jesus is why countless women have traveled the world, traveled to different continents, learned strange languages so they could translate the Bible into it, educated the illiterate, planted churches, cared for the sick. It's because of this man, Jesus, who first fought for them, to whom the ancient world could never catch up with him. And can I say that our world still has not caught up with Jesus, including the modern day feminist movement. Nicholas Kristof wrote in the New York Times, due to the preference for boys, 100 million women in China, India, and other countries who should still be alive today are missing. There ought to be 100 million more women on our planet today, but because they were born female, they were left to die of exposure. And can I say that our world still hasn't caught up to Jesus? We've seen such cruelty towards women in our world. We've seen the binding of the feet of women in China. We've seen female mutilation in Africa. And can I say, sex trafficking is running rampant all over our world today. Our American culture hasn't caught up with Jesus. We live in a culture that tells women you are what you see in the mirror. Where eating disorders outnumber that to men 10 to one often beginning at the early ages of just eight years old. If women really mattered to the American feminist movement, they wouldn't allow one baby girl to be removed from her mother's womb. If women really mattered to the American feminist movement, they wouldn't allow the mothers to go through the trauma of going through an abortion and losing their own daughter. The church, The church has still not caught up to Jesus. What if every woman here at Splendid Conference saw yourself the way that Jesus sees you? What if you did? What if we all lived in a community where we cheered each other on, where we weren't catty, where we didn't tear each other down, but we lifted each other up because that's what Jesus first did for us? Dorothy Sayers, every time I read this passage, it makes me want to cry, was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University almost 100 years ago. She was a brilliant writer who devoted herself to Jesus and having relationships with her. But I want you to hear this passage. Perhaps it is no wonder that women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man there has never been such another, a prophet and teacher who never nagged at them, never flattered or patronized them, who never treated them either as the women, God help us, or the ladies, God blessed them, who rebuked without demeaning and praised without condescension, who took their questions and their arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, 
who never jeered at them for being female, who had no axe to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. Catch this. Perhaps it is no wonder that women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this. Today, we all need to give honor where honor is due. And thank God for this beautiful community called the church that we get to be a part of. And thank you, Jesus, who as a matter of history gave women their rights that they enjoy today. We should thank God that we get to be in a community that has removed old divisions like Jew and Gentile, slave, free, black, white, male, female. They've been obliterated and now we can love and live as sisters in Christ. Let's not ever, ever take that for granted and let's remember where that came from. I bring all this history to you today to help you choose. What movement do you wanna be a part of? Both movements, they both value women. They both love women. But they value different characteristics in women. They value different qualities in women. They pull different things out of women. Which movement do you wanna be a part of? You see right here, I have a Jenga puzzle. Does anybody know how to play Jenga? You gotta stack it all up, make it look pretty. Well, this right here represents the structure of femininity that God has built for us. This is a strong structure. You can't move this. But what I see the feminist movement doing is saying, well, we like this, but what if we just pulled this out? What if we said humility? No, we don't need that. The future's female, right? Submissive? I'm scared. Submissive? No, it's his turn to submit. Self-control? No, you do you, boo. Pure? Oh, good Lord. Do you see what's happening? Pure? No, your sexuality is a part of you. You embrace it. You do what you want. Kind? No, you're a boss, babe. Do you see this, what's happening? Modest? No, that's a double standard. That was a quick one. That was a good one. Forgiving? No, it's time to make men pay. This is what happens to the structure of femininity that God has built for us. But you see what God says? He goes, humility? No. God says he will exalt the humble and humble the exalted. Submissive, God says that's my perfect recipe for a beautiful relationship. Self-control, God says that's evidence of the fruit of the spirit. Pure, God says blessed are the pure of heart because they will see God. Kind, God says a man who is kind benefits himself, but a man who is cruel hurts himself. Forgiving, God says if you do not forgive others, I cannot forgive you. And he builds these principles up in our life to show us that I know better. I know better. I know what you're meant to be. I know how to help you. But the feminist movement goes, no, we don't like that. We don't want you to be submissive. We don't want you to be modest. We have a better way of doing it. 
But you see, that's how you crash down the society of women, and not just women, but also the future generations. God does not just have our minds in place, he has our children's minds. He has the family, he has the church, he has the workplace. What He has it all. what the modern day feminist movement tells you is wrong with the world, Jesus says, wait, I say that's right. That's right. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've, I've played this game, okay? I've played their game. I've said, no, I don't want to be submissive. We can both be the heads of the household, right? We can both have a say. And yes, to a degree, but have you ever heard that a monster has two heads? You got to choose one. Jesus knows better. And then I said, well, I know I'm a woman in the workplace, so I gotta prove myself a little. I gotta be tough, I gotta be a boss. And then I start wondering why people around me don't like me and don't wanna be around me because I've got some ax to grind, because I've got a chip on my shoulder that I have to prove that I'm this strong, independent woman. Listen, if we can all be honest with ourselves today, I think there's a block we've pulled in each of our lives. And it's, listen, it's easy to fall into this. It's, it's culture, it's what we're hearing. But we have to be reading God's word. We have to be studying the fruit of the spirit and saying, what would the Proverbs 31 woman be described as? What does the fruit of the spirit say? And we have to watch that culture does not get the say above the Bible. So at this time, I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come to the front. We have to end this with an altar moment, okay? We have to come to the front and lay down our blocks. Okay, God, you know better. You fought for me first. I'm gonna fight for you in your definition of femininity. So I'm gonna ask the prayer team to line up at the front. Any of our pastors, please come to the front to help. And I wanna invite you right now during this time of worship to just metaphorically Lay your block down. Okay, I don't know better. You know better. So Adam, if you can lead us in a time of worship, we're gonna just open the altars for the women to just search your hearts and see what God may be wanting to try to work in you today.